Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Here's the podcast for The Jeremiah Johnston Show. And don't forget, you can also listen live across the Faith Radio Network Saturdays at 11 a.m. Central or 12 Eastern for the entire hour. And if you want your question read on the live show, go ahead and send it to me at www.askjjj.com. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Welcome to The Jeremiah Johnston Show. Combining cutting-edge biblical scholarship with meaningful, thought-provoking discussions and practical answers to your questions. It's time to own your faith and be a Christian thinker with our host, author, Bible scholar, apologist, and president of the Christian Thinker Society, Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. And welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. This is your host, Jeremiah, and we have a phenomenal program in store for you. Of course, this is the program that celebrates Christian thinking. It celebrates the fact that when we become a Christian, we don't check our brain at the door, uh, that the Bible does not celebrate blind faith. No, the Bible celebrates, and the kind of faith that we see emulated in the individuals in Scripture who do mighty things for Almighty God, they are men and women who have faith and reason they have this holistic amazing mental spiritual physical emotional connection to jesus christ and that is why they are effective well i am celebrating a wonderful christian thinker on this program today i think you're going to just love our dialogue he has flown all the way to houston texas to be with me in studio from cambridge england i'm talking about peter j williams the principal of tyndale house cambridge and before we go to the studio and our discussion i just have to set it up for a moment by telling you about the first time that I met Pete Williams. In fact, it was almost 10 years ago. Of course, I had known about Tyndale House Cambridge for years, and we're going to hear much about Tyndale House as well on this program today. And I'd heard about the ministry and the scholarship and leadership of Pete Williams, but I'd never met him. And so I was living in Oxford, England, 2009, 2010, working on my Ph.D. that I'm very proud to have up from Middlesex University. If you're just joining us for the first time, I did a 93,000-word thesis on the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, there I am in Oxford, and I received a call from a professor, Radu Georgitsa, who taught me Greek at Midwestern Seminary, and he said, Jeremiah, can you and Audrey and Lily Faith, our daughter, drive over to Cambridge? I want you to meet Peter Williams. And of course, we had the weekend, so we did that. We drove from Oxford to Cambridge, and there I am, and I walk into Cambridge, and I guess where I meet him. This is so cool. I met him at the old Corpus Christi College in Cambridge at the Matthew Parker Library. Now, friends, this was amazing. I shook his hand and had no more met him, and Pete said, follow me to the old Parker Library. And I want you to see this in your mind's eye. This was amazing. Um, Gothic architecture, Tudor, Cambridge architecture, just amazing. But we walk into a room, and I am greeted by Professor Krista Hamill, and I am immediately shown these amazing artifactual manuscripts from great Christians of old. In fact, I saw the actual accounting of the Oxford martyrs. I'm talking about Ridley, 
Latimer, Cranmer, what it costs to execute these men who would not recount their faith. Um, there's so many great stories, and I actually talk about it in my unanswered book, but I wanted you to have that background, that that's where I met Pete. And then we went to dinner together, and we had this amazing time meeting at the Parker Library, Corpus Christi College, Cambridge University. And so I've never forgotten that. You know, first impression, always an impression. So Pete Williams made a great impression on me. Uh, I saw other things. I saw original letters. Even between Anne Boleyn and William Tyndall. I mean, just amazing to think about. Uh, and there I was. And I asked Professor DeHamel, I said, what would be the value of the books that I'm looking at, just the ones you've pulled from the Parker Library? He said, Jeremiah, it's 10 million pounds sterling. Just think about that. Wow. You're going to love this discussion today, and of course, uh, welcoming everyone listening across the Faith Radio Network and taking your questions at www.askjjj.com. And thank you so much also for connecting with me through Christian Thinkers Society, www.christianthinkers.com. We're going to go to a 90-second break, and when I'm back, you're going to be hearing from my good friend, Pete Williams. Welcome to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I'm your host, Jeremiah. This is a production of Christian Thinker Society in partnership with Faith Radio Network. And I am delighted to have in our home studio here in Houston, Texas, uh, joining me uh, somebody that I've admired for many, many years. Audrey and I had the privilege uh, to meet our guest, Dr. Peter J. Williams, uh, 10 years ago now in Cambridge, England. We were able to see Tyndale House. And I'll save some of this for later in our discussion. I had the opportunity, five minutes after Pete met, I had the opportunity to meet Pete. Uh, he was showing me books that were valued at 10 million pounds at Corpus Christi College uh, in the famous historic Parker Library. Dr. Williams, it's so great to have you on the program today. Thank you for being with us. Great to be here. Friends, uh, Dr. Peter J. Williams has written an amazing new book, and it is entitled, Can We Trust the Gospels? And in addition to his worldwide work through being the principal of Tyndale House, Cambridge, and we're going to be discussing that in a few mm -hmm. moments, uh, he's also a faculty member at Cambridge University. He's been a faculty member at Aberdeen. Uh, he's been part of the leadership and given leadership to the translation committee of the ESV Bible, the English Standard Version Bible. So we have so much to talk about, Pete. Uh, but first and foremost, uh, thank you for visiting uh, the heart of America, Houston, Texas. Great to be here. <laughs> um, tell us first and foremost um, about Can We Trust the Gospels and how this came together uh, and what your prayer is for what God would do through this book. Yeah, well, I hope it's not too much of a spoiler to say that my answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> but what I've been doing is I've been thinking about writing this book for about 22 years. So I've been going around, I've been speaking about it, investigating it. And I wanted to write a really short book. It's actually longer than I intended. It's 38,000 words. I wanted it to be 35. But it's, it's <laughs> basically, it's there to be given out to people who are just at that inquiring stage who just want to know can they trust the Gospels because that's important to find out um, as they're the main sources for knowledge about Jesus so I think it's very important in evangelism but also I know that on the way Christians are going to be encouraged so whether they're people who are long in the faith or um, or they're people who are not sure in the faith they can be encouraged through it even people who've been Christians for a long time I think are going to learn new things from reading that book so, Pete, I want to, I for the benefit of our audience, we have a wide audience that listens to this program, both live on Faith Radio Network and then thousands of subscribers on the podcast. Um, 
so often I think it's important that we make things clear for all the parents out there. And I want to set you up this way. We have two sycamore trees in our backyard. Mm-hmm. And, I have to, and if I asked you to take Lily Faith and Justin, our children, to the backyard and point at those sycamore trees, and how could you use those sycamore trees to tell them about the reliability of the Gospels? And how does that relate to your new book? <laughs> sure. So um, there's that story that's in Luke's Gospel and only in Luke's Gospel about the little guy, Zacchaeus, who climbs up a sycamore tree. And the story is set in a town called Jericho. Now, that's not the same as the North American sycamore. It's Ficus sycamorus. It's something that that, um, grew in Jericho at the time and grew in various parts of Africa. But what's really interesting about it is it's something that's particularly associated in writings with the uh, town of Jericho. We know that from uh, later rabbinic sources. But someone who lived in, for instance, Turkey or Greece or Italy or Syria, who was simply making up a story, wouldn't know that there were sycamore trees in Jericho. So it's a very precise bit of detail. And that detail is best explained if you just simply say someone observed it and wrote it down. Either that or you have to have someone who did some really careful investigation in order to check out the historical background for before they made up a story but it's far simpler simply to say that the gospel writers got that right because they were reporting what happened and there are so many examples like that where the gospel writers simply know their stuff they know the layout of the land they know the traveling distances Mm. they know the names of places they know where the water bodies are they know that sort of thing and that is simply explained is if they are true close-up witnesses or everything they say has been based on true close-up witnesses. And it's important for the benefit, again, of the audience that you explain why is that unique as it relates to Gospels that came later, Little G Gospels. Yeah, well, there are various things that get called Gospels. I suppose it's a bit like if you've got a a real $100 bill, you get people who want to fake them. And I think after a while, after Christianity be going for a while, and you know about this because you've written on the subject, is that people start wanting to use the credibility of Jesus to advance particular ideas and therefore they slap the name gospel on things. Um, And when you look at these other writings that come from later after the four gospels, you actually find that they don't have anything like the number of authentic traits. They don't Mm. know Mm. the time and place. They're not so concerned about the culture. They are just simply less reliable. Mm. I'm holding in my hand, Can We Trust the Gospels by Peter J. Williams, published by the wonderful people at Crossway, who also have a wonderful partnership with Tyndale House. This book is fantastic in that it's 38,000 words. It's wonderful because there's a scholarly underpinning to the book. And I want you to talk about that for a moment, Peter, if you would, why it's so important that you have these great citations. That's something that I appreciated because there were several places I was reading, I thought, oh, that's a great source. I want to I mm-hmm. look deeper into that. So what I've tried to do is I've, I've tried to write at the surface level of the book so that anyone who's just, this is the first dip into the subject, can follow the entire line of argumentation. So they can be an engineer, they can be a, mm. a computer scientist, they don't need to be a Bible scholar, um, they might have only just uh, read about the Gospels, this can be the first thing. But I also want to reference in a transparent way so that if someone wants to check out the facts, they don't have to take my word for it, they can go to the sources. So that's why when I, for instance, mention the Roman historian Tastus, I want to give people the reference to the manuscript, which is the earliest manuscript of him. And very simply, with many of these things, they can put the term that I've got in the footnote into a search engine 
and they will get through to further information. Mm. So I've tried to write it like that. And there are various things. For instance, I studied the word Christian, and you find a lot of the early spellings of this actually say Christian. Mm. And Tastus is one of the cases where people do that. Now, um, one uh, prominent um, uh, atheist had been trying to say, well, he's, uh, he's not really talking about um, Christians. He's talking about Christians, some other group. And I think it shows exactly the opposite. We've got loads of evidence that early on people called Christians the wrong thing. A bit like people used to call Muslims Muslims. Yes. And, and they just didn't get the name quite right. So you have this new group arrive uh, and they, they, they don't quite know what's going on. And Tasta says this beautiful thing. The crowd calls them Christians, but the name comes from Christus. He knows his stuff. And there's another thing that that shows. It shows that Tastus didn't get his information from Christians, because if he got his information from Christians, he would have got the right name. It also shows that that bit of text has not been messed up by Christian mm -hmm. scribes, because again, if it had been Christian scribes, they would have got the right name. So we can actually trace, if you like, just in that vowel, we can trace a good argument for the authenticity of this passage. Uh, there's, in the late Middle Ages, there's no reason for anyone to make up that spelling. In the earlier period, there's no reason for someone to make up that spelling. It's the sort of thing that comes right the way through. So those little details, there is some, you know, really original scholarship in the book, even yes. though it's brief, even though it's a popular level. There are things which, you know, I've uncovered in my time and mm -hmm. I'm happy to put in the book. And you do it so well, Peter, because you make it to where a person can read this book in just a, a setting of three, four, five hours, look, mm -hmm. at the, look at the citations, and then immediately be able to answer their friends who think that the Gospels are riddled with errors, uh, all kinds of discrepancies, and so we, can't, we just simply can't trust the Gospels. If you're just joining us on Faith Radio Network, this is the Jeremiah Johnston Show. My guest is Dr. Peter J. Williams, uh, Ph.D. from the University of Cambridge. You recognize his wonderful accent uh, all the way in studio here in Houston, Texas, uh, joining us from Cambridge, England. Uh, we're really great. It's so great to have you on the program. Um, I want to encourage you to go buy this book right now on Amazon. Can we trust the Gospels or wherever you buy your books? Um, cannot endorse it enough. I had the privilege uh, to hear uh, Peter over the years share different aspects of this book as the Holy Spirit was working through his heart and this deep scholarship. Why is it, though, that you focus on the Gospels? Well, there are other books that try and do more than this, uh, but I think that if people are wanting to know about the person of Jesus, the thing that you most need to establish is, are these four accounts about Jesus things that we can basically trust? And I think there's a way into the Christian faith through looking at the person of Jesus and thinking, wow, this is amazing. But I want to uh, reinforce that by saying we've got solid evidence for trusting the Gospels. Now, of course, it's important to trust the epistles and the Old mm -hmm. Testament, all sorts of other things like that. But I think as a first point of entry for many people, this will be the right place to start. I have two questions relate to our friends who are listening who are perhaps have skeptical friends themselves or they're perhaps doubting or questioning. The cool thing about this program is we give people permission to doubt. I love what you said in a program once. I think it might have been on one of our original Christian thinkers programs. I don't think we doubt our doubts enough. Why don't we, <laughs> why don't we doubt our doubts more often? Um, or, you know, and I think that's such a neat way that you've, you've put that. What is it about, compare the most famous person of all time when Jesus was alive, mm -hmm. the sources we have for him versus the horse, sources we have for the historical Jesus. So it's interesting, you know, who is the most famous person? Pretty 
pretty obviously it was the Roman Emperor, Tiberius. And we've got four basic accounts about Tiberius. We've got four basic accounts about Jesus. But actually, the four accounts about Tiberius, on the whole, are shorter. One of them's longer, which is Tacitus. But it's more about Tiberius's time than about Tiberius himself. So I would say you've actually got a bit more material about Jesus than you have about the Roman Emperor. And three of the um, f- four sources about Tiberius are way later that, um, than uh, Tiberius. In fact, the gap between them and Tiberius is far bigger than for any of the Gospels, even on quite sceptical dates on the Gospels. And the one that's closer to Tiberius's time is thought to be the, uh, the least reliable because he's actually in Tiberius's pay to say I nice see. things about him. So, and wasn't he executed? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems he's probably executed because he, he uh, yeah, probably says the wrong thing about Tiberius. So all of these things together, you think, actually, how does this builder or carpenter from Nazareth get these biographies written about him so close to the time, which are as many as you get about the Roman emperor? This is an astounding thing. Mm. Uh, and people might say, well, isn't it, is, isn't it because the... Um, Christians are the people who preserved the literature and they were all biased in that. The amazing thing is that Christians preserved the classical literature with all the Roman gods and the Greek gods in it. They don't try and change that. So, Pete, if we can't trust what the Gospels say about Jesus of Nazareth, we really shouldn't trust anything anything else we know from the Roman Empire. Would you agree with that statement? Yeah, I would put it the other way around, which is say, I think it's perfectly rational for us to trust all sorts of things about the Roman Empire on the basis of the witnesses we have. And we don't have to take any further steps to trust the Gospels. We ought to be trusting them. Very good. Our guest today is Dr. Peter J. Williams. He's joining us on the Jeremiah Johnston Show, broadcasting, syndicating on Cross Faith Radio Network. When we come back in 90 seconds, I'm going to be asking Dr. Williams what I think is one of the trending questions against the Gospels. Aren't they just a bunch of forgeries? I mean, after all, how do we know who wrote the Gospels? You're going to want to stay with us on the other side of this break. My guest today is the principal of Tyndall House, Cambridge. Come back, stay with us, 90 seconds. This is the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnson Show. This is the show that doesn't tell you what to think, but hopefully inspires you how to think. It's not a sin to question your faith. And the great thing about the Christian faith is we're living in the golden age, really, of the Christian movement. There are so many great extra-biblical confirmations of both Old and New Testament history. And we're talking today with an expert, a wonderful friend of mine, somebody I've admired for years, our guest right here in studio in my office in Houston, Texas, is Dr. Peter J. Williams. He's the principal of Tyndall House, Cambridge, uh, and he's, he's someone whom the Lord is using mightily in the church and then somebody who is very res- well-respected as well across the spectrum uh, in New Testament and Old Testament scholarship. Dr. Williams, I'm holding in my hand your new book, Can We Trust the Gospels, that's just been released, published by Crossway, a book that every Christian should have in their library. is as much a book that is to be read, and it should also be studied. There's phenomenal notes Something I appreciate so much are all the notations in the back where I can go deeper and not only allow it to edify me spiritually, but sharpen me intellectually as well. Uh, Dr. Williams, the experts um, who claim that we can't trust anything about the Gospels say that the Gospels are just simply forgeries. What is your response to that with the work that you've done in this area? Yeah, well, I think there are... Explain what they mean by forgeries, too. Yeah, I think there are people who, who would call the Gospels forgeries. I mean, uh, people like Bar M and use that word forged about the writing of the New Testament. But when you uh, 
dig down, you actually find that everyone seems to concede that the gospel writers know a lot of material. So everyone concedes that they seem to know the layout of Jerusalem and where the Mount of Olives is and the, and the Garden of Gethsemane. These sort of things are conceded. So I, in a sense, want to advertise to people that there's an awful lot of accurate information that everyone agrees is accurate, and you, you can show that. And this idea that they are all made up doesn't, doesn't make a lot of intellectual sense. So we can draw a profile of any author by the knowledge that they give away that they have. And we can look at an ancient author more easily in this way because ancient authors were much more limited in the knowledge they could have. They didn't have the internet. They couldn't sort of do the research that we can do nowadays. So we can look and see what's the knowledge that these authors show. And the, basically the knowledge that Matthew, Mark, Luke and John as writers of those gospels seems to show is the sort of knowledge we would expect if it's Matthew, Mark, Luke and John really writing them so I would say there's lots of evidence for authenticity, forgery would be so much more complex and more difficult a hypothesis and then also to get people to accept these as authentic, the gospels of Mark and Luke in particular are named after people who would be nobodies if it weren't for the gospels of Mark and Luke it's a bit like saying you know um, someone put the name J.K. Rowling on the Harry Potter stories in order to sell them. No, no, J.K. Rowling is known because of the Harry exactly. Potter stories. Uh, Mark and Luke are only known because of the Gospels. They're not even said to be amongst the 12 disciples. So what motive is there for anyone to put those names on to make them sell better? They wouldn't sell any better. Mm. So I think that with the Gospels, we can make a very good case that, that they're um, by the authors they say they are. Our guest, Dr. Peter J. Williams, has written, Can We Trust the Gospels for the Church? And, Pete, one thing that I want to question about for a moment is the stability of the text. Mm -hmm. um, I have received questions through AskJJ, and I hope that you are submitting your questions right now to me, www.askjjj.com. We'll be discussing those questions in our next segment. Um, what would you say to those that say the text was altered? We just we can't trust that the the Bibles that we have in our lap today was what was originally written in the autographs. Mm -hmm. There are lots of lines of argumentation against that. Mm -hmm. I would start in one sense with the broad spread of where our evidence comes from. So obviously, in the last hundred or so years, we've been finding a lot of manuscripts from southern Egypt in the dry sands that you know they they they've come up. Um, really since the, the end of the 19th century. But also, you have all of the monasteries of um, the, the Middle East. You have Syriac-speaking monasteries. You have Coptic-speaking monasteries. Then you have all the Latin-speaking churches mm -hmm. and the Greek Orthodox churches and the Russian Orthodox churches. And you can find that the manuscripts that we have are spread all over, and they're spread all over different jurisdictions. There's never been a person, a monarch, a pope, anyone who's been in charge of everyone's Bibles. Mm -hmm. So there's never actually been a political situation in which someone could manipulate everyone's Bibles. And let's remember, if you wanted to manipulate everyone's Bibles, it's very difficult because every Bible back then was copied by hand. Yes. Uh, it takes a long time. Expensive. So, yeah, it's very expensive. You know, these are generally written on animal skin and so on. Uh, so the thought that you can just change every, everything, it, it's not logistically possible. So that's one level of objection. Another way you can look at it is Go back a few hundred years. A few hundred years ago, we hadn't made anything like the discoveries we made. And we found that people who were often prepared to die for their faith in the 16th century or so on would trust manuscripts to be reliable. And the manuscripts they were trusting often were no earlier than the 12th century for the mm -hmm. Gospels. So the reformers basically had 12th century manuscripts and they trusted that these were reliable. Now we have 3rd century manuscripts and a few 
Franklin's to the second century. So in other words, the evidence has gone back nine centuries earlier, and we haven't had to change our New Testaments in substantial ways. So that shows that their trust was entirely rational. Now you could say, well, mm. they could be like the people who look at that analog clock, you know, on the twice a day when it's correct, even though it's broken. <laughs> I mean, but, but, you know, it's far simpler to mm. say they were trusting and their, uh, base, their trust has been shown to be rationally based. Mm. Let's talk for a moment about contradictions. And I, I want to read the table of contents for the benefit of our audience. Again, you've been listening to Dr. Peter J. Williams and his wonderful British accent joining us here in studio all the way from Cambridge, England. Um, what do the non-Christian sources say? We've covered some of that briefly. Chapter 2, what are the four Gospels? Chapter 3, did the Gospel authors know their stuff? And we just brushed on that, but that's something Pete has done a lot of work in undesigned coincidences that was a fun chapter chapter four uh, chapter five do we have jesus's actual words chapter six has the text changed seven what about contradictions i'm going to ask you about that mm -hmm. here in a moment and then eight who would have made all this up um pete i was speaking about because in my area that i enjoy have studied and done my phd work in is the resurrection of jesus and that's mm -hmm. always pointed at as we have all these contradictions and discrepancies well here's a modern illustration i want to share with you right on this live on this radio network um and for those of you watching us um, we don't exactly know who who fired the kill shot of Osama bin Laden. Think about right. this for a moment. Yeah. We have what three? I think I have three different best-selling books here in my in my office of members of SEAL Team Six who each claim that they were the one that fired the kill shot. One fought up the step, fired up the steps when uh, OBL looked down, and he th thinks he killed him there. The other guy walked in and shot him when he was shielding himself with one of his wives. Another guy thinks he's the one who was the second guy in the room. And you think about all the technology. There's that, there, there's that uh, photo of uh, President Obama, Secretary of State Clinton. They're looking and horrified, watching everybody in the Situation Room. You think about all of the technology we have today, and yet we don't exactly know who fired the kill shot. Mm -hmm. And there's these differing views. Mm -hmm. We all know that Osama bin Laden was assassinated. Nobody questions that event mm -hmm. or the historicity of it. And yet, if it was all this airtight case, if everybody was agreeing in all these different particulars, um, I think people would begin to question it. Some of the discrepant views or the differing mm -hmm. views actually, to me, smacks of authenticity. Mm -hmm. and in my opinion, that's what we see when we see the resurrection mm -hmm. accounts. It's a modern example of how even with the best technology, we still don't get every detail right. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. We don't doubt mm -hmm. the major event. What is your response to those that question the, the credibility because they see, well, was it one angel or two at the resurrection? You know, all these other supposed errors, they say, in the Gospels. So I'd say we've got four accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, if you just simply start by adding them together, you'd have to have at least six women going to the tomb uh, because mm -hmm. of, of, of Luke talking about the other women. And, and you, you, know, you want that to be a minimum of three. So you end up with six women. Do they all bundle into the tomb in one move? Are they allowed to face different directions? Are they allowed to see different things? Are angels even allowed to move? You know, I yeah, mean, what, exactly. what's allowed to happen? Yeah. And are gospel writers allowed to praise, to summarize? Mm -hmm. And I think once you allow a little bit of flexibility there, our issue is not that, that these contradict irreconcilably, but actually there are several possible ways they could all fit together. We, and my problem is I don't actually know which of the several ways they, they fit together. So... But when we look at them, we also see that they've got things in common. So they all have the empty tomb uh, is there before resurrection appearances. 
And also we see that when um, an angel or a man in bright clothing is seen at the tomb, uh, in each case there is something, there's a comment about the brightness of the clothing. Now if I were going to make up a resurrection account, I would have Jesus be the dazzling one mm-hmm. and the angel sidekicks mm-hmm. a bit less dazzling. Mm-hmm. And so you get these sort of things. And then you find that, uh, you know, in, in Matthew and uh, Luke and John, they all have a theme of doubt in there. Now, Mark, I would say the ending uh, ends at, at chapter 16, verse 8, and, and so that there's, there's actually less there. But they all have this theme of doubt. And it's a remarkable thing, because if I were making up a resurrection account, I wouldn't put doubt in it. It doesn't yeah. seem very cool. Um, <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so all of these things, I think, are, are signs of authenticity. And then we have these tiny little agreements between them uh, so for instance uh, Matthew and John have got really pretty different resurrection accounts but then you suddenly find that where uh, where in Matthew you've got them uh, saying that they took hold of Jesus' feet in John you've got Jesus saying to Mary don't cling on to me in Matthew Jesus tells uh, the women to go and tell his brothers meaning his disciples mm. and in John you've got that same expression uh, Jesus talking to Mary about go and talk to my brothers and again it's just striking that you've got this agreement at the big level then you have differences at the middle level and then you have at the tiny level these uh, exact hits that's what mm. I expect when you've got authentic recording and how does that compare with the other sources from the Roman Empire at the time well we just don't have the same specificity to reconstruct precise events mm-hmm. you know what so what we find is with Jesus, I think we can be more certain about things he said than you can about Tiberius, actual mm. conversations yes. where you got back and forth. Um, what happened on a particular day? I would say that the chronology of the um, crucifixion and what happened before, even though these things are debated even amongst Christians, is probably the most carefully recorded set of events in time that we have from antiquity in terms of the ability to lay out and have intelligent discussions about what happened at particular moments in a day this is extraordinary that we've got this and of course you've got some additional confirmation from the talmud and so on so i want to say this is really amazing that we can we can have detailed discussions about this so what's your hope then i mean i get so excited listening to you Mm -hmm. it makes me think of other things and just it it affirms my faith it affirms it goes much deeper than at an intellectual or scholarly level. It makes me so excited um, that we have these great sources mm-hmm. that prove that Christianity, in fact, is something we can rely on. What, what's your hope spiritually for can we trust the Gospels? What do you want it to do in people's lives? What's your prayer? Well, Dr. my hope, it, it goes uh, far and wide, uh, and that people find fr- from their way, uh, from reading the Gospels, to um, trust Jesus. Now, I don't want my book to get in the way of the Gospel. So if I say, if you've got a... Ch- if you've got a ch- got a choice between reading my book and reading the gospels read the gospels <laughs> but you know if you're a bit skeptical about the idea of reading the gospels or you've read them and you're not sure of evidence for them then 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 read my book but my aim is to get people reading about jesus because he's just remarkable he's a son of god and we should give our lives to him and don't you enjoy listening to peter j williams i want to encourage you to follow him on twitter one of the coolest people i follow now is dr williams he has these fantastic feeds that you've been doing i know that's a lot of effort to do that so i compliment you for doing that you want to follow him at Dr. D-R-P-J for Peter J. And then Williams, ending with an S. That's at 
Dr. P.J. Williams. No underscores or punctuation. Connect with him on Twitter. And go ahead and also like the Tyndale House on Facebook. When we come back in 30 seconds, we're going to be discussing Pete's wider work through Tyndale House. And then I also have in my hands um, so many great resources that you're putting out, Pete. God bless you for all the work that you're doing. I have the Greek New Testament produced by Tyndale House Cambridge. One of This is something I prize in my library uh, right, at the, right there at the top. Uh, so stay with us. Our guest today is Dr. Peter J. Williams. You are listening and watching the Jeremiah Johnston Show on Faith Radio Network. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I'm in studio today with Dr. Peter J. Williams, somebody that I had the privilege to meet uh, almost 10 years ago in Cambridge. Audrey and I, along with our daughter, who was just a few months old at the time, had heard so much about Tyndale House, I mean, in the years even leading up to when we lived in England, and I was so excited to meet Dr. Williams, and about five minutes after meeting him, he said, hey, we're going to go over here to Corpus Christi College, Cambridge, and we're going to go to the Parker Library, and within moments, I was whisked away as if we had gone back <laughs> into time. We were with a medieval professor, I think, de Hamels or Memory Serves, something like that, uh, and we were looking at um, amazing works from Erasmus, Calvin, even a letter from King Arthur. We saw a letter from, I think, Anne Boleyn. I mean, it was just phenomenal what you were showing me, Pete. And uh, I'm so thankful for the way. And I'm sure you welcome everyone to Cambridge who visits oh, you. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> but tell, we have, a, we have a wide audience. I just love our audience. We have new Christians that listen to this program. Then we have seasoned pastors and Christian leaders and other professors. But uh, for the benefit of everyone, tell us about your work at Tyndall House and how we can pray and support you. So Tyndall House is really a leading hub and a library of research on the Bible in Cambridge, England and uh, been going since 1944 so people started it before D-Day they knew there needed to be a rallying place and a hub Mm. for research on the Bible which is there to serve the church and we have the biggest collection of Bible positive Bible scholars I think you find anywhere uh, in the world we have about 50 people working at the doctoral level or above I've got a great staff um, and I think all my research staff can read six languages or more A a lot of them a lot more than that and uh, they're doing serious work looking into the Bible. There's so much to discover about the Bible. God's made it into, it's just a deep well. And so there are treasures to draw out to um, enlighten people with, and there are depths to plumb. And so we're delighted to do that, and also to try to provide resources to help people understand. Often you can go really deep, and then you distill into great simplicity. And so we want to do that as well. We've got a free magazine. Uh, which people can come out with. It's called Ink. So we're t- Tinder House. That's T-H. And you add the words Ink on that. Well, you might make a, a, a new word out of that. Uh, and so we're <laughs> encouraging people to think deeply about the Bible through that. And you can get that freely online. And walk us through. I mean, you provide so many things that I know uh, cost a lot of money uh, mm-hmm. that you all do just to bless the scholarly world. I mean, if uh, there are scholars I know personally who have had even their own doubts, even been at moments of crises in their career and their family, and they, it's almost like Tyndall House for them has become a city of Ephraim, a city of refuge. Can you just talk about the work that you've done with scholars who yeah, come and so, stay, do their sabbatics? So we, we have accommodation uh, there in Cambridge. We've got a, a really great library, and people come and they live there. And it's not just that the scholar lives there, but also their family, so their family integrates into a community, so it can be a, a real haven for them. And it becomes a place 
where people can network because mm-hmm. we have people from six different continents and so they're able to get connected with people right around the world often from different denominations different backgrounds but with the same aim to serve the church and so from them getting together and we have coffee and tea twice a day yeah. they actually things happen jobs yeah. get given books get planned conferences get planned movements get uh, started and so it's just amazing and there's nowhere that has been starting quite so much in that area uh, as tinder house so it's it's great and um you can also go to our bible literacy site tinderhouse.com and that's uh, aimed at lay people and you can get the resources there and if we can we like to give things away freely and talk for a minute um, because this program is heard i'm sure around the world with those that subscribe to it but we're syndicated in almost 20 stations in the united states so do you have an american nonprofit? how can people support you pray for you interact with tyndall house in the united states yeah so we have the american friends of tinder house and their their website is friends of friends of and uh, people are able to give in tax deductible ways to support the ministry in the service of the church we're looking to raise up the next generation of bible positive scholars for the world uh, there's so much to do there and you've been a consultant with the museum of the bible and mm-hmm. what i love is you minister to every denomination mm-hmm. i mean you speak i've seen you, you speak at speak at baptist lutheran catholic i mean secular uh, yep. so just say a word about that if you would too so um it's I think the the Bible doesn't belong to any one group. And the Bible doesn't even just belong to Christians. I would say the Bible has been put there by God for everyone. And so we need to get it out to everyone. And that means we also need to interface with our non-Christian friends about the Bible. We need to encourage them to read the Bible as a book for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we try to go as widely as we can. Um, I'm delighted about the Museum of the Bible being in D.C. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, at the center of... Um, of what's going on there uh, it's a great uh, location to say yes this is for the entire society to engage with the bible so i've got three questions left so we have to race through these before we go to our final break i'm holding in my hand the greek new testament that was produced over many years by peter williams and the great scholars at tyndall house cambridge um this is wonderful it's beautiful why did we need a new greek new testament we have others and i want you to answer that question and and what is your hope and prayer for what this is already doing i know the answer but for the benefit so of what the... we've sought to do is we wanted to make uh, something that would be very readable so we've made it very very um plain in the text we didn't want to interrupt the text with lots and lots of notes we wanted people to encourage people to read i want to get people reading new testament greek more widely um we had a really leading scholar leading this called Dirk Jonkin. He's, mm-hmm. uh, in fact, was curator of Codex Sinaiticus, and, and he did a great job on that. The then oldest a, Codex Sinaiticus, the yeah. old, probably the oldest Greek complete Bible we have. Yeah, and, and uh, he uh, gathered a team. And then we've tried to follow early manuscripts whenever we can, including things like paragraphs and spelling. But say, take something simple like paragraphs, you know, we have this parable in Mark chapter 4 mm-hmm. where Jesus tells the parable of the sower and he says, listen, then behold, a sower went out to sow. And what we found is the early manuscripts were putting the first paragraph, uh, Mark, not before his first word, but after his mm-hmm. first word. So he mm-hmm. says, listen up, guys. Then you've got to have a slight pause. And then the mind's imagination visualizes the sower going out to sow. And we found all sorts of insights like that about the way they're thinking based on following early paragraph divisions. So we think that's really important for 
people in the future. And my hope is that English Bible translations in 20 or 30 years wouldn't dream of not consulting early manuscripts when they make their paragraph divisions. Just phenomenal. Um, and how is this being used now? What, what's been the distribution? Is this uh, how, how do you how, how do you see this going out in the future? So I know been, you're working it's on being, it. Yeah. It's being used uh, around the world, and uh, you know people are teaching Greek uh, a lot. And also we have a reader's edition that's just come yeah. out, so it's got the the bottom half of the page or so. Uh, gives all the vocabulary for any word 25 times or, 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 or fewer in its occurrences. And so that's also going out. And we want to build on that and have more resources. So second question, Pete. Uh, I have one more after this. So talk to me about your own personal devotional life, how you <laughs> came to Christ. I know that your your parents or your father maybe came to Christ uh, through a Billy Graham crusade. That's I mean, right. I want, I want for the person who's aspiring, they want to be the next Pete Williams, but <laughs> I want you to talk about your own spiritual discipline. Yeah. Well, of course, th- they need to be themselves. But, you know, I, I was brought up in a Christian family and uh, really godly parents who um, filled the house with books and were also open-minded and inquisitive. And so they, they taught me uh, to try and learn and was really helped by that. I went to university wanting to become a Bible translator, um, learning languages to do the Bible. During that time, felt the call actually to be a Bible scholar to help uh, people more widely and have been doing that uh, since then. Uh, in my devotional life, um, it's really important that you recognize that we're all just simple and needy before God. And God mm-hmm. gives us his grace and we need to come to him every day afresh uh, mm. to be filled with his grace and filled with his spirit. So I like to read the Bible at least once every year uh, and more if possible. Uh, it doesn't take that long. It's only 75 hours long. So I try and read the Bible and I tend to read it in different languages. Mm-hmm. Um, partly because that's what I study. Also, it slows you down so you notice new things. Mm-hmm. And friends, remember, there were, what do spiritual disciplines look like? The scriptures tell us that we are to search the scriptures and we're to pray without ceasing. So that, that's what devotional life looks like for the modern church, just as it did in the early church, searching the scriptures and then praying without ceasing. My final question for you is what I ask all of our guests. We've been blessed to have the world's brightest Christian thinkers uh, on this program And, Pete, I think that vulnerability is the new superpower to reach people. And you know that I've been asked 10,000 questions. I've written a book called Unanswered, and this program birthed because we still receive hundreds of questions. I received a question earlier this afternoon from a Christian wondering if he can help his other Christian friend with assisted suicide. Mm -hmm. There are so many needs out there. But what is your unanswered question? If you could ask God anything what would it be? Or did you have, perhaps as you were growing in your faith, even in scholarship, did you have a crisis moment or an unanswered question that you worked through that was formative? Would you mind sharing that with us? Yeah, so I mean, I, I did have a faith crisis in my early 20s, you know, as I looked out and there didn't seem to be uh, many scholars that you could mm. um, look to as models, as, as believing scholars. And I, I suppose I've got a range of questions, but there's another side to this, which is, I think... We've got to remember that God's got infinite knowledge and we've got tiny knowledge. And actually, therefore, that means there's an infinite number of potential questions to ask God, an infinite number. Um, And we also need to recognize there's an infinite number of sort of why did God questions that we can't answer uh, because he's not told us. So, So that's fine. And we need to celebrate the knowledge we can have. So I celebrate what my mind can do, but I also celebrate what my mind cannot do. 
And that includes celebrating your aging and the fact that your memory is not as good as it was. And so I think there's a tendency, particularly amongst Christian <laughs> thinkers, to, to try and set themselves up as if they have to know everything. And there's a pressure uh, to try and know everything and to, to actually realize, no, I'm meant to be mortal. I'm meant to be That's finite. Right. That's what God's made me. That's fine. I can celebrate the fact that I serve an infinite God, an all-knowing God. And so then you find your place um, and you, you can celebrate all the gifts that he's given you properly within that framework. Mm, so powerful. Uh, our guest today has been Dr. Peter J. Williams, who is the principal of Tyndale House, Cambridge, um, a wonderful friend of me personally and a great friend, uh, somebody who encouraged me in the earliest days to move forward with Christian Thinker Society. Um, also, don't forget, go ahead and buy, and I would encourage you to buy this book for your pastors. Um, I think of all the pastors that are listening to you right now, Dr. Williams, Can We Trust the Gospels? It's eight chapters you need to know. Uh, for any of you who want to go deeper and add a phenomenal uh, Greek New Testament. Go ahead and add that in. Um, and, and also, uh, please pray about, go to TyndaleHouse.com or Friends of Tyndale House here in the United States um, and connect. Join Pete on social media at Dr. P.J. Williams. And Pete, we're committed to pray for you. Um, I'm just so delighted uh, with the ways in which I just get to intersect with you from afar and hope that you'll come back to the Jeremiah Johnston show in future days. Great to be with you. Appreciate you, brother. We're going to be back and I'm going to be taking your questions. You can submit those if you've been listening to Dr. Williams. You can go to www.askjjj.com back in 90 seconds and we will be working through your questions. Stay with us. This is the Jeremiah Johnston show. Welcome back to the Jeremiah Johnston Show. What a program today. Don't ever let a professor, a thinker, an ex-Christian, a skeptic tell you that we cannot trust the Gospels. Now, I want to return uh, to the story that I was telling at the beginning of the program when I first met Pete Williams almost 10 years ago in the Parker Library at Corpus Christi College, Cambridge. And by the way, it was quite fun. Um, Audrey was there with me, my wife, Lily Faith, our daughter, who was just a year old, running around the old amazing library and just think about this i saw original autographs of erasmus john calvin martin luther and even king alfred in a very extremely rare letter from anne boleyn but the most important and i think unique manuscript that i read was the prison inventory and record of the martyrdom of thomas cranmer archbishop of, Can of canterbury and what was fascinating about it, it was an actual execution log. Of course, these manuscripts are handwritten, of course. Think about that. Uh, and this log gave a financial accounting of the archbishop's final days. And you'll remember that originally Archbishop Cran Cranmer recanted. He uh, recanted his faith, but then he recanted on his recantation, and he said, no, I'm going to be burned at the stake. And he made that famous statement, I want the first part of my body to be burned to be my right hand, which originally signed uh, my recantation of my faith. But get this, according to what, and I'm looking at these, I'm looking at the pictures right now, and you know what, I'll post these on our Christian Thinker Society Facebook page. I'm looking at a financial accounting of his final days. The archbishop was granted a haircut, fish to eat, and one cord of sticks for a kindling for his cell. And you'll recall that he wanted, as I just said, his right arm to be burned first, the hand which signed that original recantation. Gosh, doesn't that fire you up to be bold for Jesus Christ? 
Um, the writing begins, and I'll post this so you can see it, um, and you know what, uh, you can actually parse it out on the Facebook page of Christian Thinkers Society, but it begins on the left page, and you see the accounting on the right page. Uh, this was so inspirational. It was great. Again, my thanks to Professor DeHamel, Peter J. Williams. Um, just a fascinating experience for me. And so at any rate, what does this tell us? What What is the takeaway from today's broadcast? We need to not only trust the Gospels, we need to know them. It's one thing in apologetic circles as Christian thinkers to talk about why we can trust the scriptures, but it's a whole other thing to actually know them. I've met some apologists that can talk about all the reliability of the Gospels, but they never actually take time to read them. And so here's an immediate next step for you if you're listening to today's program. Read the Gospels. Read them well. Sit down and read the entire Gospel of Mark in one setting. Guess what? You can do that. It doesn't actually take that much time. Sit down and read the entire Gospel of Luke, and then read its sequel in the book of Acts. I also want to encourage you, secondly, another immediate step, go ahead and buy Pete Williams' brand new book, Can We Trust the Gospels? It's been written for a lay audience. Um, That means you don't have to be a scholar. This is a book, though, that if you are a scholar, all it's going to do is undergird your faith even more. Thirdly, friends, Without a doubt, subscribe to this program. If you've missed any of it, or if you're like me, you like re-listening to great content, subscribe to the Jeremiah Johnston Show podcast, listen to it again, share this program, connect with me at Twitter at underscore Jeremiah J, Facebook page, I'll post this picture, Christian Thinkers Society, and of course the Jeremiah Johnston Show website on the Faith Radio Network webpage. Friends, it's been a great time having you join us today on the Jeremiah Johnston Show. Again, my thanks to Pete Williams. You'll probably hear from him again on this program in future days. See you next time. Hi, I'm Jeremiah Johnston. Thanks for listening to the podcast from the Jeremiah Johnston Show. I definitely want to hear from you, so if you have a follow-up question from today's program, you can submit it to me at www.askjjj.com. You'll also see how you can connect with us from there across social media. And don't forget, these conversations are available because of listener support. And you can make a gift right now to the Faith Radio Network at www.myfaithradio.com. And to avoid missing future editions of The Jeremiah Johnston Show, please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. You can do a Google Play, RSS feed. And thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of the program.